This is Our Voices. I'm Mario Trimble. In order to be a place where everyone in our community feels valued and connected, we first have to ensure everyone believes they belong. These are Our Voices, a joint podcast production from the Colorado and Denver Bar Associations, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusivity Joint Steering Committee. Our Voices shines a light on the unique stories, experiences, and backgrounds of our member leaders so that we can help each other walk together. For as long as he can remember, Michigan native Jonathan Booker always knew two things, that he wanted to practice law and that he wanted to settle in Colorado. Ten years ago, he made good on both goals. Now, as Director of Criminal Law at Denver firm Hernandez & Associates and incoming 2021 President of the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association, Jonathan is giving back to his chosen home with a commitment to defending others in his profession and serving the Latinx community through his leadership. Our own Linda Moss and Mallory Revel sat down with Jonathan to talk about his experiences, his vision for CHBA, and much more, including his passion for the outdoors. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our podcast today. Today, we are interviewing Jonathan Booker, the brand new Colorado Hispanic Bar President with Hernandez and Associates. I'm Mallory Revel, criminal defense attorney with Foster Graham, Milstein, and Kalisher. Joining me is my co-host, Linda Moss of Coombe, Curry, Rich, and Jarvis. We're so excited to meet with you today. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much. I appreciate you both having me. Yeah, we're so excited to talk with you today. Um, As far as structure goes, I think we want to talk about who you were, who you are, and who you're going to be next. So let's jump right in. Tell us about growing up, coming out to Colorado, a little bit about you personally. Sure. Um, Early on, I, I grew up on a lake. I grew up in Michigan, so I spent... Uh, basically May through September in the water or on a boat. Uh, It was quite a bit of a lifestyle shock moving to Colorado where there's a plethora of bodies (laughs) of water that you can look at, but you're not allowed to enter. So I I moved out here about 10 years ago. Uh, As soon as I finished law school, um, I packed up everything I owned. Um, Two days after graduation, drove out here, studied for the bar, and have been here ever since. Oh, wow. Um, Where did you go to college? Uh, I did my undergrad at Michigan State. Um, I finished in 2007, and then I went straight through to law school at Toledo in Ohio. What made you decide to go to law school? Uh, I always knew I was going to be a lawyer. Um, growing up, I kind of had two things in mind. I was going to live in Colorado, and I was going to become an attorney. And not in any specific order, but I had never been to Colorado. <laughs> um, I didn't even visit until I was in college, and I came for a ski trip. Uh, so that was the first time I'd ever been out here. And by then I had pretty much told everyone that I was already going to move here. <laughs> so as a kid, what made you kind of drawn to Colorado? Uh, I think I've I've always embraced the Colorado lifestyle. So I, I've always been a big mountain biker, a big skier. Um, <clears throat> this was kind of always a mecca for obviously for both of those. So it it seemed to make sense on paper. I, I saw some pictures. They looked really pretty. <laughs> I heard something about 300 days of sunshine. Sign you up. Right. What about being a lawyer? What made you decide from, sounds like a young age, that you wanted to be an attorney? Uh, that's a good question. I I don't have a specific uh, particular memory. I, I remember when I was uh, in middle school, we had, it's kind of like a, a small debate through social studies, and I got really into it. Like I borrowed my dad's briefcase. <laughs> It was one of those like click top ones where you know I hit the buttons, they snap open, they open in half. And I took out like my two loose leaf pieces of paper, 
you know, did my debate, thought I did amazing, uh, got a B. So <laughs> said <laughs> to become a lawyer. All right. Tell us about your law school experience. What was law school like for you? Yeah, I, I wasn't quite ready to, to leave the Midwest at that point. Um, I got a scholarship uh, through University of Toledo, um, which was just amazing. I, I had a great opportunity, so I, I stayed local. Uh, it was only about an hour and a half from where I grew up in uh, southeast Michigan. So it, it was a great opportunity. Um, I had made a lot of close friends that, um, I mean, my roommate in law school was my best man uh, a couple years ago at my wedding. So it was a, I really enjoyed it, um, even though I kind of always knew that it was a transitional stop to the rest of my career, which would be out here. So were you a Michigan State fan? Oh, yes. That was my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Undergrad. Absolutely. Okay. Any other teams you've latched on to either in, heaven forbid, Ohio or Colorado? <laughs> uh, certainly not the Lions. Uh, I think they ruined every Thanksgiving day <laughs> in my entire childhood. So wow. um, certainly a Spartan fan, especially college football, college basketball. Um, those are definitely my sports. So you graduated in 2010 from law school. Is that right? Yep. I uh, finished in May 2010. Not a great year to graduate from law school. I was, <laughs> you're, you're behind you. What advice would you give recent law school graduates who are dealing with graduating in kind of the mess that is 2020 based on your experience from 2010? Certainly. I, I mean, hopefully uh, recent graduates have been kind of laying the foundation by uh, becoming more involved in the community, making those connections. Uh, that's what I did. Um, I, I knew it was going to be difficult just one, obviously, the landscape that I'm graduating into, uh, but two, obviously, not having the support of a of the law school in the state in which I want to reside. So when I go to the career resources department at the University of Toledo, they're like, "Well, if you want to stay in Toledo or Ohio, no problem." But you know, branching out to any other states going to be difficult. The the lack of connections is is difficult. So I took kind of an unusual path. I um, I had applied to several internships um, at some of the larger firms in Colorado uh, for my second summer internship and was promptly turned away, mostly because <laughs> you have a Midwesterner through and through. Why would we take this shot on you? You're probably just going to stay there anyway. Mm-hmm. So I tried to show my commitment when the time really came that I needed to move out here. So I came out during my first semester of my third year, and I did a visiting semester at CU. I, I called it my study abroad to Colorado. And I, it was great. Uh, I got to make some connections. I found an internship during that semester that I was out here. Um, and ultimately, when I finished school and actually moved back here permanently, I uh, actually got, got my first job through the same employer. So I, I was able to get a job as soon as I passed the bar in Boulder, Colorado on Pearl Street, which wow. I thought was great for having otherwise no connections to the state. Not having connections is hard. Right. I also came from Missouri, and my law school kind of dug through the files, found one Mizzou grad <laughs> in Denver, Daryl Shockley, who's now oh, on the bench, and yep. at the time was kind enough to take a call from some Missouri kid and give me 10 minutes of his time. So those connections are really, really invaluable. Um, tell us about your first job in Colorado. Sure. Um, I worked for a firm called uh, Family Law International. It was a solo practitioner in Boulder that um, specialized in international, uh, excuse me, international family child abduction cases. So, wow. for example, you know, a parent um, from another country takes a child, either comes to the United States or in the reverse, leaves the United States with the child. Um, there's a Hague Convention that allows 
um, to establish which country should be the jurisdiction that decides mm-hmm. um, the residence and custody matters. So we would basically either A, if we were on the receiving end, um, we've defended those cases, we've brought those, uh, they're all federal action cases. I honestly haven't done one in about nine years, so I could be completely wrong in the process <laughs> at this point. But that's how I got started um, before I kind of transitioned into what I have been doing for the past nine plus years, which is criminal defense. Perfect. Let's talk about that then. Um, In the realm of criminal defense, have you developed any kind of specialty? Um, No, I started um, with, I started with like, excuse me, misdemeanor and general sessions cases, uh, municipal cases, Um, kind of basically my firm had the perspective of not so much earning your stripes, but you should learn the foundations. Um, Being able to learn how to connect with uh, prosecutors, with judges, with jurors, um, and doing those in the context of these misdemeanor and um, municipal cases was valuable before I kind of transitioned into some of the larger felonies. Um, I wouldn't say that I have a particular specialization in any area. I have found my practice has transitioned to some of the larger felonies. I seem to have a large caseload of sex assaults lately, but. You mentioned connecting with prosecutors. That's actually how we met. And I can attest to your professionalism, your collaborative approach to getting justice done and getting good results for your clients. Tell us a little bit about where that comes from. Where did your sense of professionalism and approach come from? I, I, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, I would say it's certainly my mentors. Um, Obviously, uh, my firm, the managing partner is Arnofo Hernandez. He's been a very close mentor of mine for the past, like I said, almost 10 years at this point. Um, He's the one that I kind of turn to when I have questions, uh, when I need thoughts or suggestions, and he's also the first one to give me unsolicited advice. (laughs) So having watching someone that has that level of experience and confidence in how they interact with others um, is something that I chose to try to emulate. And it was certainly not a style that was, you know, abrasive or brash just to be brash, uh, but rather to make the connections in order to benefit your clients. And I found that that was uh, obviously highly persuasive that fit my personality. And so I tried to imitate that for some aspect, I guess. And you mentioned personality. I know that you're a Cobalt graduate. Um, One of the biggest things that I took from Cobalt is personality itself being its own type of diversity. You know, we think of lawyers as being, you know, these type A people pounding on tables and kind of yelling, going about their day. That's not how you practice. Why do you think that diversity in personalities in the law is so important? I mean, absolutely. I think the worst thing you can do is try to be someone that you're not. Um, You know, trying to have an idea in your head of, okay, this is the perfect lawyer. This is what I want to be. It doesn't exist. So finding your style, uh, your voice, I think is important. Uh, Obviously having mentors and seeing, you know, what works for them and maybe adopting a particular style or a particular point is important. But uh, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever gotten anywhere by banging on a table. So your firm also does a lot of immigration work. Um, is there some intersect there between your criminal defense practice and immigration law? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't personally practice uh, in immigration, uh, but 
all of, or I should say probably a significant majority of my clients have some type of pending immigration consequence, uh, potentially as a result of these cases. So whether or not they either have an open case um, or simply we are concerned about future contact by immigration, um, one of the big components of our practice is making sure that we're involving an immigration attorney in that case at a very early stage. So their client is advised, look, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do that, this is what's going to happen. And it's important, obviously, to make those informed decisions. And I mean, the Supreme Court has told us as much in recent years, but uh, that's kind of always been one of the founding principles of our firm. Why is that meaningful to you? Sure. Um, my mom's actually a, a first-generation immigrant. She came from Mexico when she was about eight years old. Um, so I grew up in you know a a mixed household like that. But I also grew up in Southwest or excuse me, Southeast Michigan, where it was rather monochromatic. So mm-hmm. uh, it it was in, it was really enjoyable to specialize in a practice that helps a clientele that I can relate to and that I didn't necessarily have the exposure to growing up. So uh, it's personally meaningful, absolutely, to you know be able to help these people and these individuals um, that I think, unfortunately, society has largely forgotten or moved to the periphery. Can you tell us a meaningful story from your practice? Oh, sure. Um, I think during my first couple of years of practice, I, I remember a particular uh, case. It was, I remember it being charged as a, as a misdemeanor, a harassment, uh, and it was it was mainly uh, the allegations with threats uh, in both directions. Um, and so, in speaking with a client, we we again involved an immigration counsel, uh, gave us some advice. We were concerned about some of the consequences of a conviction, um, but. Uh, this particular individual was uh, confident that you know he would be successful at trial. Um, we made the choice to go to trial despite those consequences. You know, even though it was a, frankly a low-level misdemeanor, the collateral consequences were significant. I mean, and so what we were able to do was obviously secure a, a not guilty verdict. Which, uh, I mean, I remember being a particularly young attorney, one of my first jury trials, and just having that, you know, wave of relief wash over me that not for me, not for Winnie, but like this individual, like his life is preserved. And um, that, that's kind of a feeling I've kind of always tried to keep in the back of my mind in future cases is knowing that it's not necessarily the direct consequences of a, of a criminal case, such as detention or probation or what have you. Um, it's oftentimes the collateral consequences that are more significant and oftentimes more important. Other than relief, in a word or two, how would you describe that feeling when not guilty is read? I could probably think of a few words. Um, (laughs) Radio edit version, probably just elation. (laughs) That's a good one. So I want to ask you about mentors. You mentioned Arnolfo Hernandez, who is a wonderful mentor. Um, Who else has had a big influence on you as a lawyer? Sure. Uh, when I first moved out here, uh, I, again, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have um, any connections in the legal market. So I started going to you know CBA events, um, kind of the easy ones, the Young Lawyer Division, mm-hmm. where I, I heard there was free beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I met James Gartz. Um, he became kind of a mentor of mine as well. Um, we had a, we found out we both enjoyed mountain biking. Uh, we went for rides together. Um, he introduced me to a number of people through the CBA. And it, it was kind of great to have that 
you know, separate avenue of someone who's like, well, you know, I understand what you're going through. Uh, I understand the change in location and how difficult that is. You know, uh, let me do what I can to introduce you to a few people. Um, and, it, and it really makes a difference, you know, having those types of connections. Um, I mean, they matter for every facet of your practice and frankly, personal enjoyment in the law. And so one way that you make connections is the diversity bars, right? Absolutely. Can you tell us what diversity bars you're involved with? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a member of the uh, Colorado Hispanic Bar Association. Um, I was actually just elected last week as the incoming president-elect for next year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Are you excited? I am. I'm more nervous than excited. <laughs> we, we had a special election, so I, I have a short notice to uh, kind of get up to speed for next year. But yes, I'm very excited. So being thrust into that new leadership position, it sounds like, what tools do you fall back on to prepare you for a position of leadership like that? People with greater experience and smarter than myself, <laughs> unquestionably. <laughs> uh, my, my goal is to you know, lean on the, the executive committee and the board that um, we have in place, um, try to add some new faces, um, but most importantly, rely on the institutional knowledge that many of our members have. I'm curious to dig in for a second into adding new faces. How do you want to go about doing that? Sure. So um, one of the processes we're going to have to appoint uh, chairs for all the various committees. Um, I obviously want to make contact with those that are currently in place. Judges value their interests, see if they want to continue on. Um, a lot of times there's usually some shuffling of positions. You know, someone has been in a role for several years. They want to try something else. Um, but it's our board is very young um, this past couple years. And I think it's important to both have that diversity of perspective in, in you know, younger perspective, but also the institutional knowledge uh, from some of our members with greater experience. So my goal is to kind of cobble together uh, a board that adequately reflects our membership. So it sounds like the Hispanic Bar Association is having a fairly successful time of indoctrinating new or younger members of the legal community into leadership roles. Has that generally been your experience? Since uh, I've been kind of actively involved, especially the past four years um, on the board, and that's definitely been my experience, is uh, there's a lot of uh, youthful, what's the word I'm looking for, um, energy. <laughs> uh, a lot of people are, are seeing the value of membership in the bars, uh, specifically the, you know, the Hispanic Bar Association, and they're contributing their time, which is, you know, frankly, it's, it's amazing that with the demands that we have in this profession, that people are still willing to give more of themselves. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really happy to be a part of that. Do you think it's a matter of personality or does the Hispanic Bar do anything in particular to entice younger attorneys to take leadership roles? Sure. I mean, we have a, you know, a specific committee for Young Lawyers Division. They, they focus on uh, presenting events that kind of attract uh, younger uh, experience levels. I mean, they're generally, they're, they're fun. Um, they're social, they're fun. They get people introduced to the, the Bar Association. And then we kind of also introduce them to some of our other events. We, we generally do once a year a, a Meet the Board event. Uh, we have one actually this week. So it's an opportunity for members, whether you're a part of the board or not, to come meet the committees, see if you're interested. I um, mean, I got my start with the pro bono committee and I, I didn't chair anything. I just 
I felt like I had some time. I felt like I wanted to be a part of it. And I volunteered to help put some events together. And then from there, they're like, hey, you want to do this? Hey, you want to do that? What do you plan to accomplish as the CHBA president? And you've touched on that a little bit about involvement and bringing in kind of the next generation of leaders. What else do you hope to accomplish? Uh, absolutely. I appreciate the question. I My goal is to make every member of this organization feel that there is value in one, both being a member, uh, and two, that we are giving back to the Latinx community uh, here in Colorado. Um, I want this organization to be for them and by them. And I, I think it's important to make sure that membership feels like this is an organization that supports them and they have a place to come that's comfortable for um, you know, support for conversation, for community, for engagement, um, and making sure that, you know, we're hitting each of those high points. Can you tell us a little more about giving back to the community? What does that look like? Sure. I mean, um, in the past, uh, our organization hosts uh, several legal nights. We partnered with the Mikasa Legal Clinic. Um, so we provide um, most of the attorneys for those legal nights. So we, prior to the pandemic. We had a specific ones for the general legal night where we did a lot of, uh, you know, family law cases, immigration cases, um, housing eviction cases. And we had a separate small business legal night that we also organized and brought in members for questions regarding how do I start a business? How do I get a patent? Do I need a trademark? Um, people who generally just don't have access to lawyers and frankly just think that it's overwhelming or cost prohibitive, um, this is a great opportunity for them to have access uh, to our profession. And I mean, I'm really proud that, you know, we have those partnerships with those types of organizations. Um, but yeah, I mean, we do a lot of events. We do events at schools, um, you know, meet a lawyer, those types of events. So we try to make sure that community outreach is a big component of what we do. Mention meet a lawyer. Why is that important? I, I think it's important that people, well, more importantly, I think it's imperative that children see attorneys that look like them. You know, having uh, someone come to your class that says, you know, this is my last name, it's like yours, uh, that I look like you, and I'm a lawyer, I'm a judge. I mean, that gives children that, oh, this is, I can do this, this is possible. You know, there's an avenue for me, someone else has done it. Um, I mean, that there's, I just feel like that it conveys such a strong sense of um, community and ability to reach above what you think might otherwise be possible. Um, so it, it is important to kind of continue that outreach, and I, I also want to make that a priority. Do you have any idea how that outreach is going to be affected by COVID or if it's still possible right now to reach young people in our community knowing that they're probably not in person in school, and even if they are, that they're probably not inviting guests to speak <laughs> to children. For, for obvious reasons. I, yes, that's, that is a great question and uh, going to be a, a great challenge for this next year. Um, it has been certainly um, difficult this year. We, it's an in-person profession. This is a, we make connections face-to-face. -face, and it, it's been very, very difficult adjusting this past year to some type of an online format. Um, for example, you know, we generally have a banquet every year. Um, that's kind of our big opportunity to bring membership together, to to network, to connect. The chances of that happening this year are probably some to none. So 
but we, we are working in ways to have, for example, smaller social or uh, socially distanced events. You know, to, on Thursday, we're having our meet the board event. We're capping at X number of people. We've secured a space that allows us to have, uh, you know, social distance gatherings and still have that kind of community in person, even if it is smaller. Uh, and that's probably what we're going to have to do for the next year. And when it comes to outreach, um, I mean, I'm hopeful that a lot of these organizations and schools will be receptive to, you know, having us uh, guest appear via video. Um, as long as there's some way that we can trail, try to make that face-to-face connection. Have you had the opportunity to collaborate with any of the other diversity bars to do similar outreach programs? Uh, that's a good question. I'm probably not the best person to answer that. Uh, I have not made contact with them yet, but I know we have certainly partnered with um, the other uh, diversity bars in the past, and, and I, I hope that they're receptive to further collaboration. Sure. You mentioned the challenges that COVID-19 has brought. What do you do for self-care? I spend a lot of time outdoors. My, my wife and I are in the mountains as often as possible. Um, we are generally in a tent without cell phone reception and then mountain biking during the day. That's that's my happy place. So I, I try to reserve me time mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as it's you important. can. But uh, yeah, it's, it's generally in the mountains. It's generally without a cell phone. It's generally on a bike. Is unplugging a big piece of that or is it more kind of the activity? Yeah, I, I think it's it's the time that you spend and the you know what you do with that time. I mean, it, it's impossible to completely unplug. Uh, you know, I we have I have a trial next week. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's going to go. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's this weekend we'll be working, but there, thereafter, I'm hoping to get another trip to Boab. I hope to get on a bike again. Do you have a sense of what the trial may look like? Oh. That's a great question. We we have um, we've had several hearings about what it might look like, <laughs> and I frankly cannot visualize it. We're doing um, voir dire and jury selection in mm. a completely separate room that's supposedly mm. larger, allowing for social distancing. Um, but then, I mean, once we get in the courtroom, I don't know how you're going to spread twelve jurors out. I'm really curious myself to see how it shakes yeah. out. It's going to be a challenge. <laughs> it's certainly one perspective. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do you I, I'm I'm really curious um to know if you feel like the modifications we've had to make for COVID have affected your ability and the court's ability to properly hear these cases. And I mean, for example, one of the things that I've considered is, you know, the way that we pose evidence in a courtroom versus in a, a Zoom world, um, do you do you see any of any of those barriers or modifications as um, issues? I mean, absolutely, there are issues, and I think absolutely there are concerns. Uh, I mean, your right to a jury trial is fundamental, so it, it's I appreciate um, the various jurisdictions and their chief judges have gone way out of their way to set protocols to try to make these. Um, trials as safe as possible, and more importantly, make them happen. Um, but there has been substantial delays. I mean, this particular trial starting next week is an individual that's been in custody for almost 10 months. Uh, and we've just blown through speedy trial deadline and trial date after trial date. But 
we th- or I should say the chief judge in this particular district thinks that we can do it safely now, has set some protocols in place. I mean, it, it, it falls on the attorneys to then kind of make it happen. Um, you know, we're going to have to make binders for everyone in advance. We're going to have to have the forethought and foresight to figure out what is going to be needed, when, how. <laughs> we plan to admit that evidence, put it in a binder, make sure it's where it needs to be so that, you know, witnesses can simply open it up, turn to the correct page, mm-hmm. and everyone's looking at the same thing. Oh, you're making me stressed for a trial that I may have going next month. My goodness. I'll, I'll certainly be happy to let you know how this one goes. Well, um, can we can we jump back to COBALT? Because I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your... So first of all, can you tell us what COBALT stands for? Sure. It's the Colorado Bar Association's Leadership Training Program. Um, I was a member of last year's class, which apparently was probably the last in-person <laughs> Class. Yes. Apparently. <laughs> uh, no, I, I thought it was great. I I had applied once before, um, was politely turned down, but I was happy to be accepted the second round. Um, and it, it was just a wonderful experience. It was it focused heavily on self-reflection and it was nice to, you know, be forced to work on yourself. You know, you, you could read every book in the world that tells you you should do this, that, or and why, but to sit down and workshop and have other people tell you that this is, you know, what they are observing, that this is what they see in you is, I mean, it's rewarding, it's fulfilling, and it's it's really challenging. Do you feel it's been important to your practice to have that kind of self-reflection? Absolutely. I mean, you know, even if you were engaged in leadership, you know, whether it's in your firm or a bar association, you know, engaging in self-reflection is, I think, always valuable. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it... it helped me personally to grow. Um, I thought it helped, you know, my just relationships in general, you know, with friends, with my wife, with everyone. I, it's just, it's great to kind of say, oh, okay, that that's why I do this. You know, that's, this is who I am. This is, you know, who this other person is. And more importantly, being able to connect with them and understand their style of communication. Was your class diverse? And if so, how did that affect your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the priorities of, of COBOL is making sure there there's diversity in everything and in, in the people who are attending, the diversity of perspective, geographical diversity, uh, practice diversity. Um, and it, it's great to not be in a room of criminal defense attorneys or personal injury attorneys, but to, you know, have people from big law, small law, solo judges. I mean, we had uh, one of our classmates became a judge during our cobalt year. So, I mean, it's just, it was a great opportunity to kind of see all of these people, um, in this kind of social setting and in a vulnerable state. Um, I think you learned a lot about each other, a lot about yourselves. And uh, I mean, they're, they're connections that I think will last the rest of my life. If you had to pick one nugget that you gleaned from cobalt, what would it be? (laughs) Uh, one nugget. If I had to reduce it down to one nugget, I think it would be communication style. Um, understanding, you know, how I think and how I communicate information uh, was enlightening, but also understanding that not everyone does that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, qualifying myself as an extrovert or a conceptual thinker and expecting everyone else to think and communicate that way is 
obviously unreasonable, but you know, sometimes it takes someone pointing it out to you um, before you can say, oh, I understand this. Okay. I understand how this person's communicating and, and I can now more effectively, uh, you know, communicate with them and reach them. Have you encouraged other members of CHBA to participate in Cobalt? Uh, I have a general uh, proponent and spokesperson for Cobalt. Absolutely. <laughs> um, anyone who's even considering it, I, I definitely support. I have um, even written a nomination for other members of, of the CHBA. Um, I, I think it's a great organization. I, I, um, I do think it's important and I do uh, support it as much as possible by encouraging others to apply. Does CHBA do anything um, as far as mentorship for younger attorneys? It's something we're actually working on right now. Um, we are uh, working on developing a camp project, um, mm. which is obviously very similar to the um, the CBA's version. And what we do is we are in the process right now of kind of finalizing our outline for the program. We will be submitting it to the camp program here at CBA. Um, they're going to give us their feedback. Um, they actually will administer the program, um, but we are going to take care of soliciting our members for both the mentors and mentees. Sure. And that's and the Colorado Attorney Mentorship Program, correct? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. That's that's amazing. Yep. We're, we're, it's been in the works for a while, so uh, I, I'm confident that end of this year, early next year, we'll, we'll finally get the program launched. Great. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite question that's usually posed at Cobalt, if you were an animal, <laughs> what animal would you be? <laughs> I think it depends on the day. I mean, <laughs> at, at the end of the week, or I should say at the uh, next weekend after this trial is over, I would probably say a sloth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Right now, what would you be? Right. Uh, right now, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess some type of a bird would be... A preferable, mm. just someone who maybe could have a broader view of or broader perspective and could see the landscape. Uh, that would be an ability I would enjoy. <laughs> Are you also yellow and red? Uh, my face is red right now. <laughs> so yes, we'll go with red. The conceptual thinker yes, yes, for yes. listeners that aren't aware. In Cobalt, we do some pretty intensive personality testing and I guessing you're pretty substantially yellow, which is very outside of the box thinking, as well as red, which is social. Uh, you nailed it. I was predominantly yellow conceptual, and then I was also uh, uh, red social. And I'm green, so I sent little dashes on an email <laughs> to you earlier. It was quite orderly. <laughs> it's green organizational. You're green too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I was wondering. <laughs> Awesome. Um, okay. Well, have you, I mean, I don't know. Who are your, who are your favorite mentors in the community who you still work with now? Uh, I, I, I've continued all of my relationships with, I, I would think with many of my mentors, uh, as I mentioned, you know, Arnofo Hernandez is the managing partner of our firm. I, I just, I work with him on a day in day out basis and, you know, value that relationship and that mentorship. And I mean, that's been a constant staple in my basically my entire career. Um, but yeah, I, anyone that, you know, I have admired, I have tried to, you know, foster those relationships. Um, you know, it, 
whether it's you know a judge, a pra another attorney, I think someone that I respect, I, I try to you know make it known that I, I appreciate what they do and I value their opinion and I, I solicit those opinions. How do you approach a judge who you respect and and you know want to glean more information from? I mean, certainly it's difficult, you know, in a courtroom setting, there's usually a busy docket going on. Right. But um, I think a lot of times, you know, especially after a trial, I, I try to make a point to, you know, ask for feedback, you know, both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. I, I always try to make a point to talk to juries afterwards, because I think, you know, especially if you lose, I feel like you learn the mm -hmm. most in those situations. But I always try to make a point to, you know, ask to approach and ask for feedback from the bench as well. And do you find that they're generally pretty receptive to those requests? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think most judges value um, mentoring younger attorneys as well. I mean, I don't have the opportunity of being a, you know, a public defender or a district attorney that's assigned to a courtroom and, and have that kind of unique relationship that a lot of them have. So I have to kind of go out of my way when those rare opportunities that I get to be in a particular division. Um, I mean, that's another value of being a member of the, you know, local bar associations is there's a lot of judges that are members there. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I get an opportunity when, you know, you go to these banquets or these events uh, to the Hispanic Bar Association, meeting a lot of these judges um, and developing those relationships as well. And obviously you do a lot of work within the Hispanic Bar. Why is bar involvement so meaningful to you? Uh, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed um, the community that it provides. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, frankly, I probably did it for a little bit of selfish reasons in the beginning by not having the connections out here and sure. and trying to develop those. But then, you know, you start making friends, and it's enjoyable to go and have a beer and catch up with someone. And you know, it, it's it's great to kind of foster those relationships and you know have those individuals turn into some close friends. Well, and you say that you did it for selfish reasons. In reality, it seems as though it's very difficult to advance in our field, whether professionally or, you know, in leadership roles outside of your job without having connections. So it sounds like it's almost a necessity to become involved in the bar associations. And I, I agree. I, I think what I meant was, uh, I didn't do it with any strategic purpose in mind. I wasn't trying to advance a career or um, a personal interest. It was more, this probably is a good idea. I've heard people tell me it's a good idea. I think I'll do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then from there, you, you know, you start making relationships that, you know, do advance your career. And, and it certainly has um, had a huge impact on my career and life. I think that's much the way that young attorneys make decisions. <laughs> Someone told me I should do this, so here I am. Exactly. <laughs> you, it seems to work out. You mentioned camp. What other ways do you plan to partner with the CBA in your role as CHBA president? Um, good question. I'm not sure I have an answer for you yet. This is it's it's all been very new to me. Um, Fair enough. The, I know there is a President's Diversity Council um, that I just got notice of that. Uh, I'll be a member of as part of the CHBA's representative. So uh, I'm looking forward to kind of being able to connect with all the other, um, you know, diversity bar presidents and, you know, work on exactly that issue. And I really enjoyed your comments earlier about representation and why it's important for kids in school to meet lawyers, meet judicial officers, meet people in this field that look like them. Um, 
how can we improve the pipeline to get those kids not just meeting us, but in the profession and involved in a positive way? Sure. Um, I, I, the pipeline is kind of a, is very much an important aspect. So for example, you know, we try to partner with the law schools uh, here in Colorado, both CU and DU, uh, making sure that we have representatives from those schools on our our board. Uh, so not just simply members, but actually you know, have a presence on our board. Uh, so that way we are making sure that the law schools are supported. Those students know that this organization exists for them and that it is important. It's important to be a part of this to develop your career and your practice. Um, it, it's certainly more difficult when you, you know, move a level beyond that. If you're trying to reach college students, if you're trying to reach high school students, um, but, but again, you know, making your face available and your time available to those individuals, you know, whether it is reaching out to schools in particular, um, you know, hosting some type of an event, and making sure that you and your organization are have representation at that stage, I think, creates opportunity. I mean, we, we have a, a great nominations and endorsements committee that, you know, tries to promote um you know, members and, and qualified candidates for judicial vacancies. And it's, again, it's about supporting our membership and, and promoting them. Um, because I, I think it's important because if you don't do that, who else will? Do you think that our bar association and our um, diverse bar associations have any opportunities to reach out of state students that haven't been fully tapped yet? I mean, understanding that you came from out of state and you had significant barriers to ultimately becoming a part of the Colorado legal community because you were not from Colorado. Do you think there's anything that the bars could be do the bar associations could be doing differently? I, I think it's important to be receptive and communicative with um, you know recent bar grads. Um, I, I think it's it's difficult. You're right to to make those connections, but. You know, for example, I remember when I moved here, um, I was seeking that sense of community uh, in this practice, in this profession. So I reached out to this Manic Bar Association. Um, so I, I think it's important that when, you know, events like that happen, that you're immediately receptive, that someone is returning mm -hmm. those phone calls or emails and inviting them to those events and, you know, getting them involved with a particular committee. And, and by doing that, I think you increase your own pipeline in that organization. So, you know, it's important to... You know, try to bring everyone into the fold. It sounds like having people genuinely be heard is really important in the pipeline context as well as the greater bar involvement context. How does it feel for you when you're truly heard in a situation versus when you're not? Well, I mean, I think like anyone, if you know, if you feel that your opinion matters or your voice matters, then you're more inclined to you know, participate and, you know, hopefully lead that organization someday. So, I mean, that's, that's always been the goal of, uh, I think our organization is making sure that, you know, everyone who has a voice is interested in, in speaking is heard uh, and their time is valued. I mean, I mean, like I said, this is a volunteer organization. So, I mean, those get paid. It's a lot of time, you know, from the, I would say from the top, it's a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> but you can make it what, uh, what you want it to be. So it, there, there's certain, um, you know, time commitments that are less, uh, for different committees, things like that. 
We promised you in the beginning that we would be asking you about where you see yourself next. So other than giving a lot of time, as you mentioned, <laughs> to the CHBA, what's in your future? Uh, well, that's a good question. Okay. I, uh, this has, uh, like I said, been kind of a, a recent development with the uh, president-elect position. So I, I'm trying to focus um, all of my time and efforts in that role. Um, I, I think it is a position that requires it and requires that attention. So that's what I'm trying to focus on at this particular juncture. Fair enough. And I'm sure they appreciate that time and those efforts. <laughs> mm -hmm. So as a final question, what is your favorite random story from law school? Favorite <laughs> random story from law school? Um, I think it would be the, the trips uh, that you would take on your free time. I, I remember I, my buddy that, you know, was the best man at my wedding. He had a birthday party and we decided to drive all the way down to Northern Kentucky to the Hofbro house. <laughs> from Michigan or Ohio? Uh, from, Ohio. from Ohio. I mean, it's, it's still a hike. almost Michigan. So it, I mean, it was just a, it was a great time. You know, it, you get out of town, it's a change of pace. You, you know, you bring all your close friends with you. It, we did a lot of those, uh, a lot of those get out of town for the weekend kind of deals. Are you still close with a lot of those friends from law school? Uh, yeah, there's certainly a, a few of them that I, I keep close relationships with. Um, you know, obviously others, you kind of grow apart. It's, it's different, you know, being out of state. Um, most yeah. of that graduating class, I think, probably stayed in state. But, there, I mean, there's certainly quite a few that uh, went national and even went abroad. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time with us today. It's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you and get to know you a little more and hearing about what you're doing and what you'll do next. I thank appreciate you the so advice. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. This has been Our Voices. For more information on today's guest or to get involved, please check out the CBA podcast page at cobar.org slash podcast. That's C-O-B-A-R dot org slash podcast. This podcast series was created by members of the Colorado and Denver Bar Associations. Our Voices is a collaborative effort of the EDI Joint Steering Committee messaging team, including Mallory Revel, Linda Moss, Bonnie Schreiner, Mallory Hasbrook, Mo Watson, Mario Trimble, Courtney Holm, and Emmy Lopez, with our CBA Communications Team Director, Heather Folker, and Manager, Charles McGarvey. Our recording engineer is Rick Pontelion of Lionsbridge Recording. Our producer and editor is Courtney Holm, with theme and introduction by Mario Trimble. This podcast is made possible because of the support of the Colorado and Denver Bar Associations. On behalf of all of us, thanks for listening to Our Voices.